And as you have your Bibles, would you go ahead and turn to John chapter 14? John chapter 14 will be where we study tonight. As we continue looking at these four chapters that we call the upper room, Jesus' last words to his disciples before he would go to the cross. John chapter 14, and we will look at verses 15 to 31 tonight. 15 to 31, you'll see a lot of these verses are very precious verses and very familiar verses. Uh, 14, uh, verse 15, let's read it together. It says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is God's very word. So let's pray as we think about these verses together. Father, thankful for tonight. Thankful for another Friday we could be together. God, even as we've now for uh, about a year have been meeting as this ministry, we're so thankful just for the community that you've built and for the encouragement that's come out of the times we've had looking at your word and investing into one another. Lord, we pray tonight that you would give us a glimpse of your son. God, I pray that this time your spirit would be at work, both in me as I preach and in all of us, as we hear your word, that we'd understand you more clearly, that we would love you more, uh, and that we would walk more faithfully in your ways. Comfort us tonight according to your word, Lord. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, like I said, we are continuing to work our way through these four chapters. This is, again, Jesus in the upper room. Uh, and in these four chapters, which is only recorded in the Gospel of John, Jesus gives these parting words to his disciples. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to encourage them. Remember, they have spent the last three years living with Jesus. 
and their lives have been totally transformed. They have seen him do uh, innumerable miracles. Okay, they've seen him feed 5,000. They've seen him heal paralytics. They've seen the blind open their eyes because of the work of Jesus. And they've listened to Jesus teach. They've listened to his wisdom and his authority. He's, he's preached words that even demons and diseases and wind and waves obey him. They've been amazed by him. Jesus has become so precious to the disciples that before he's, when he says, I'm going to go die, Peter's like, well, we'll go with you wherever you go. He's not saying that, I think, a little out of arrogance, but also out of love. The disciples love Jesus. He's made their lives so much better. They've never met someone like this. Which is why they were so disturbed and disheartened when they heard Jesus say, I'm going to be betrayed by one of you. And in just a few hours, I'm going to die. And you're not going to see me anymore the way you used to. Jesus, their teacher, their hope was leaving. But he, he didn't want to leave them hopeless. He didn't want them to feel abandoned. We read a couple weeks ago that he loved them to the max. He loved them to the end. And so what he's doing in these chapters is he's giving them truth. He's giving them kind of final words. You need to listen to this. You need to believe this. And he's giving them hope. How they can find comfort. How could they cannot let their hearts be troubled in the midst of all that's going on. And when that, what this passage does tonight is this gives hope for every single Christian. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, this is the hope that you can have if you became a follower of Jesus. In our passage tonight, Jesus offers peace. He offers peace. We're wrapping up this scene. This is the first scene of our, of our Last Supper discussion. Well, we see these remarkable words that Jesus says in verse 27. When He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Jesus offers peace. Now as we jump into that, I, I've again, uh, I know a lot of you have grown up in Orange County. And when I talk about Jesus offering peace, there is the temptation that that might seem a little cliche because you've all seen the bumper sticker. No Jesus, no peace. N-O Jesus. But if you know Jesus, K-N-O-W, then you will know peace. You've seen that bumper sticker as the person cut right in front of you. No, I'm just kidding. And, and so like, we just say that. We, we talk about that. We talk about peace as this kind of mystical thing, but we don't really think deeply about it. And so we're tempted as I talk about this to go like, yeah, yeah, peace, that sounds good. I need to calm down a little bit. But if we really think about it, peace is what we want. And peace is what you need as you navigate this world. Jesus says, look at it right there, verse 27. He says, peace I give to you. He goes, not as the world gives do I give to you. And you begin to realize when you think about peace, the world does not have peace to offer. Now, I say this in October of 2023 when there is you know, actual like, military conflict happening in our world in the Middle East right now and between Russia and Ukraine. And so on a global scale, yes, you hear a lot of people crying for peace. Why? Because we don't have peace. We think about peace in a cultural scale. The, you know, the, the global conflict is taking a little bit of the spotlight away from the fact that 
our country has a sort of cultural conflict going on. The red guys and the blue guys, the left guys and the right guys don't seem to be getting along with one another. So you could look at it in that sense, but the world in general just doesn't have a lot of peace. Like how many of your friends, you know, maybe you're blessed to be in a family like where your family gets along, but you know coworkers that like they have relatives, parents that they don't talk with anymore. The world has conflict. You turn on the news or you jump on your Twitter feed or X feed, I guess now is what I'm supposed to call that. Like, and it's just constant things like, you know, you should be worried about this. You know, you should be concerned about this. You know, this isn't settled when you think about the future. But what Jesus, I think, is talking about here is inner peace. Inner peace, that confident disposition that says, I know everything's going to be fine. I'm not anxious. In fact, it's this sort of defiant confidence that says, even when the world's falling apart around me, I have peace knowing that everything's going to be all right. And I'd ask that tonight, do you have this? Because that's the kind of peace that Jesus offers. The confidence of knowing at all times, everything is working for the best. Everything is working according to God's plan. See, because that's the kind of peace that Jesus is even modeling in these chapters. Like in these chapters, we read back in 13, he talks about his soul being in turmoil. Mentions the same thing in chapter 12. And yet Jesus is confident in the Lord of all of this. If we were to read ahead in John 18 and 19, he's going to be confronted by a mob. Then he's going to stand before the high priest and be accused. Then he's going to stand before Pilate and be accused. Then he's actually going to be before soldiers and be nailed to the cross. And what is Jesus the whole time? He, it's, Isaiah says he's like a lamb quietly led to the slaughter. Why? Because he's demonstrating the kind of peace, the kind of confidence where he's trusting God's plan. He's, he's unflappable. He's not being moved or he's not being anxious about any of this. And that is the kind of peace he offers us. Notice what he says. He offers you peace. In fact, he says, my peace, my own peace, the peace I have, I leave with you. And so I just ask you tonight, do you have peace right now? When you think about the future, when you think about, am I using my life well? Is my life unfulfilled or is it wasted? When you're uh, thinking about things that aren't certain, do you have peace or are you one who's anxious? of anxiety in your soul, maybe of, maybe of not even knowing if your religion is working, if, if all this stuff is even true, if, if any of this is going to work out for me in the end. Yeah, peace is what we want. Peace is what you need. And Jesus gives us peace. In fact, we, we won't look at it tonight, but in Philippians 4, uh, G, the, Paul, says, uh, Paul says, Philippians 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There is a peace God offers that surpasses understanding. And we want to know, how do we get at it? How do we get at this peace? How do we have this peace? Well, the way that Jesus gives this peace, how does He do it in this passage? What He does is He gives it through truth. It's truth claims that you cling to, truth claims that you uh, believe in, that you hold fast in, that brings real lasting peace. It's truth that anchors our tumultuous hearts. It's certainty 
that silences our anxious cries. What we want is truth. And what Jesus does in this passage is he gives peace by helping us understand truth. And he's going to give you three truths. That's going to be our outline. Now, if you're a note taker, we'll have three points. And it's three truths that are meant to give us peace. Three things that you can hold and you can trust you that when you feel like worrying, you say, hey, I could follow my emotions. I could go by what I feel or I can go by what I know and have real peace in the situation. So what is it that Jesus wants us to know? What does he give us? How does he give us peace? Well, let's look at these truth claims. Three things here. Ready? Number one in this passage. Jesus gives us peace by providing, number one, clarity regarding true discipleship. He gives us peace by providing, number one, clarity regarding true discipleship. The best reality we can have in the world is to know for certain, not just feel like it, not just hope, but to know that we have peace with God. To know that God is on our side. Romans 5.1, Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we right now have peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. We can have peace with God. How good it is to know we are loved by God. This is why the Apostle Paul in most of his letters will say grace and peace. Because let me tell you about grace, God's disposition towards you, and peace, your status with God. There's no conflict between you and God. That is such good news, not just to believe that and hope for that, but to know I'm right with the King and Creator of the universe. And in this passage here, Jesus, who is God the Son, speaks about relationship with God. Look at these verses. Look at verse 21. About halfway verse, through verse 21, he, he says, whoever uh, has my commandments keeps them as he who loves me. Now look what it says. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him. Look at verse 23. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. So what Jesus is trying to do in this passage is give the disciples certainty that they are loved by God. That's an important thing to know, right? And again, that's an important thing not to assume. Uh, if we're talking about no Jesus, no peace, bumper stickers being cliche, I do think being loved by God is also something that's it's kind of hard to convince people of around here because they just assume like, well, of course I'm loved by God because I'm an American and I'm a human and I'm a Californian. I'm a child of the 90s. I learned I'm loved by God. This is, God loves me. That's just what he does. But the things we learn in the scripture is that God doesn't just automatically love everyone. He doesn't love everyone indiscriminately. He doesn't love everyone unconditionally. What I mean by that, I hear that, is listen to this. One of the most famous verses is John 3.16, right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. But friends, that verse is only talking about God's general kindness to everybody. And I'm not just making that up. It's because two verses later, in verse 18, John writes, Whoever does not believe in the Son is condemned. And in 3.36, later in that chapter, he'll say, if anyone doesn't believe in the Son, the wrath of God abides on them right now. And so we need to know we're loved by God because there's also people that will face the wrath of God. So how can we know? The Bible warns us about future accountability. We will give an account to the judge. So how can I know I have peace? How can I know that I've really been forgiven and God loves me? Well, you can know 
And you can have assurance. The Bible wants to give us assurance. Jesus wants us to know for sure. And the friend of assurance is obedience. Notice in this passage how often the obedience is linked with knowing that God loves us. Let's look at, look at verse 15. It says, um, page, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Look at verse 21 again. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Again, verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. Verse 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So what is Jesus saying here? What this isn't saying is if you want God to love you, you need to obey. And if you obey just enough, then God is going to, he's going to look at you and be like, look how charitable you are. Look how kind you are. Look how loud you're singing. You turn to that cross reference faster than anybody else. I love you. That's not how we get made lovely. That's, that's not what's going on here. In fact, verse 15 runs into verse 16. We'll see that in a second where he's, he's talking about something else. No, you see, faith in Jesus will have love for Jesus. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by trusting in Christ. We're saved by recognizing that we're sinners, recognizing we could never earn our way to God in our own good deeds, and crying out to Jesus, not with a debt relief plan, how we'll make it up, but no, we, we cry out for mercy. We cry out for help. We say, I need you to forgive me of my sin. Your cross has to be the only reason why I get qualified to go to heaven. We're saved by faith alone. But the proof of that faith is obedience. You cannot say, I've trusted in Jesus if you're not following Jesus. This is why James chapter 2, verse 14 will say that faith without works is dead. That faith without works is dead. There is no such thing as an intellectual faith in, in God without submitting your entire will to Him. So, you know, I actually entrust my life to you. I follow you and obey you. Jesus Himself in Luke 6.46 will say, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Listen, this is, this is going to be some like cutting-edge stuff here. So bear with me. Ready? Christians actually obey the commands of Jesus. And that sounds funky to say, but it's not what people believe nowadays. I mean, you're like, going like, what do you mean? Of course Christians do obey. Kind of. Like the belief today, like I've heard this story many times before. I'll talk, and it's usually, you know, with, with well-meaning parents who love their kids, but because they love their kids, they're not thinking right about Bible, and they'll change their Bible. And so they'll say stuff like, hey, can you pray for my son or daughter? They're you know, they're living with their boyfriend right now or they're, you know, they're just not living the right lifestyle and uh, pray, pray that they'd walk with the Lord. And you'll say things like, oh, I'd, oh, I'd love to pray for them. Yeah, I'll pray for them to get saved. And their parents will say, well, no, no, they're a Christian. They became a Christian a long time ago and just pray that they'd walk with Jesus. Like we've made this dichotomy, like I can be saved by Jesus and live however I want, but it's okay because I, I prayed that one time. That's not biblical conversion. Like real faith is I've, I've repented from my sin, but now I started to follow Christ. 
way back in the 90s, there was this weird belief that you could follow Jesus as Savior, but Him not be Lord. Well, Jesus is my Savior. I remember grabbing, a, I don't know if I told this story a couple weeks ago, at the coffee shop. Did I talk about Dale at all? met a guy named Dale, and Dale told me that. He's like, oh, it was that year that I turned to Jesus as Savior. Now, my life didn't change. Ten years later, I turned to Jesus as Lord. And I was like, that, you can't do that. Like, how, how could you like, have half of a person, but not the other half of a person, right? Turning to Christ means submitting to Him. That's all over this passage. Now, before we get into what this means, I just think that tonight, like, this could be in God's providence. Maybe you're here and you're someone that's just kind of intellectually assented to Jesus. Jesus is a good role model. Jesus brings good morals. You know, there's the crazy, you know, moral revolution going on, but Jesus could fix that, so I agree with that. But your life's not any different. You're not consistently trying to obey. Again, our obedience doesn't earn it, but real faith will have works. Real faith will strive to obey Christ. And maybe tonight that might be something to just say, I need to do a reality check on that. Maybe you're someone who's just been honoring the Lord with your lips, but not submitting to Him with your whole heart. If that's the case, I would say, don't just assume. Check your own heart on that. However, I don't think that's totally why these phrases are in there. Let's think about this again, the idea of peace. Let's think about peace. So I want the peace of knowing for sure I'm a Christian. So let's play this out the way I think it plays out for a lot of us. We love Christ. We want to follow Christ. We want to obey Him in everything. And the more I get to know Jesus, the more sinful I see that I am. And the more I'm trying to pursue Jesus, I just keep seeing that I fall short. And sometimes what we do is... We're, we're sinning, and I'm here, and my buddy's talking about walking in victory, and I'm like, man, I'm doing the best that I can, and I love the Lord, I know I'm a sinner, and just, man, am I even a Christian? How do I know I've been good enough? What is this passage supposed to do? It's supposed to give you peace. How do you know it? Because you do keep obeying, and you do keep striving. And the reason you feel bad about messing up is because you are prioritizing and actively every day trying to grow. And, and you're, you're fighting sin and you're putting to death and you're confessing it, but you're like, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I hate this sin because I love Christ. What Jesus is trying to tell you is, hey, you love me because you're trying to obey my word and you are obeying my word. And that's the evidence that God actually does love you. That's the comfort that comes from this. This interesting link between obedience and assurance. Obedience isn't a substitute for faith. I'm not saved by my obedience. I'm, I'm saved by faith. But man, isn't it so good to know like, wow, I'm actually obeying. That has nothing to do with me. That's all the Lord's kindness in my life and the proof that right now He loves me. He loves me, not, not again, loves some future version of me. He loves me right now because He saved me. How good is that? Friends, that, that's why we should always prioritize obedience. Isn't it interesting how obedience often costs us that assurance that comes with it? Because we see, how could I live like this? It's why we want to walk in obedience because we love Jesus. And if you're obeying, and if you love Christ, guess what? Christ loves you. So point number one, Jesus gives us peace by providing clarity regarding true discipleship. Here's, here's number two. Number two tonight. How else? Jesus gives us peace by telling us, number two, of the coming of the Helper. Number two is the coming of the Helper. He gives peace by telling us there's a Helper coming. 
And we read that here. He says, like I said, verse 15 sort of flows into the rest of it. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth in the world cannot receive. So this is the first time that Jesus begins to directly in this section talk about the Helper. The, the Spirit sort of alluded to in the first half of the book. Uh, but here he's, he's made much more, he comes more into the foreground. He is, we see down in verse 26, the Holy Spirit. I will send you the Helper, the Holy Spirit. That's who this is. Now it's interesting, in these chapters, Jesus talks a lot of Trinity doctrine. He talks a lot about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He talks about Him being in the Father, the Father being in Him. The Father sends the Spirit, and then the Father sends the Spirit in Jesus' name, and then later the Son sends the Spirit. And there's a lot of weighty theology in these passages that kind of makes our heads spin a little bit. And the reason I bring that up is because sometimes when you talk about theology, people will be okay with it, but when they're like, ooh, deep theology, that's either like the thing I don't like because the nerds make fun of me for not knowing it, or it's just too weighty and too hard to understand. And I just want to, you know, like when Jesus is trying to give us peace, he gives us some like really complicated truths. Why? Because we need deep truths for, for troubling situations. Like shallow, cliche answers don't help us when our life is falling apart. We need real truth we can cling to. And that's what Jesus is giving us here. He's giving us stuff He wants us to understand, truths that outweigh the storms of life. And so, back to this passage, if peace is our theme, Jesus gives peace because He's sending another helper. So what is this? Who is this other helper? What does this mean? It's parakletos is the Greek word. It's the word we've heard maybe paraclete. It means to call alongside. It's to help. It's to encourage. It's to assist. Another word for it might be advocate. Uh, the, the Greek word here that's used for it, it's used only four times, or sorry, only five times in the New Testament. Four of them have to talk about the Spirit. One of them talks about Jesus. 1 John 2, 1. If we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Now, what is an advocate? Let's, let's use that word. I, I like that word. There's a couple words I'm going to suggest. I like the word advocate. And when we think advocate, we, we do think like legalese, right? Like someone coming alongside to help you. You got in a car accident, dial 1-800-CLAIM-JUMPER. And they will come and they'll, they'll come alongside and they'll help you. And they'll be your, you know, your, your, your insurance agent and help you out. Thank you, Olivia. I like, I like that joke. So, right? So that's what we think. We think advocate. Who's going to stand up for me in court? But... That's not totally the idea of who an advocate was. In those days, like, you know, when the Bible talks about scribes and lawyers, these were the ones who studied the law. They weren't the ones that, like, represented people. Like, in those days, an advocate was actually, like, a friend. It's like a friend who could vouch for you, who could vouch for your character, who could come with you to court and plead your case on your behalf. And that's who the Spirit is here. Jesus says, I'm going to send another advocate. I'm going to send someone else who is a friend to come alongside. Now, one of the commentaries I read said a better translation might be helping presence. And I kind of like that because it's a nearness and assistance that's involved in this. He's also called, do you notice, another advocate. And, and let's not just skip over that here. Uh, let's think about that. In Greek, there's, there's two different words for another. 
There's another like of a different kind, another of the same kind. And I read an, an illustration by Sinclair Ferguson that I've just, you have to use for this. When he says two different ways for another, you could say like, ooh, these cookies are delicious. Can I have another, like another of the same kind? Or, oh, that's oatmeal raisin. Do you have another option? Like one that's edible. So a different kind of cookie, a different kind. And that's what this is. This, thank you. That, that, that's what it means. So when it says another, it's another of the same kind. So think about that. What Jesus is saying is you already have had an advocate. You've already had a friend to come alongside and assist, help, plead your case. And now you're going to have another one. You're going to have one that's exactly of the same type who comes alongside and helps. Well, who is the first kind? It was, it was Jesus. He was really like their friend who was with them. And now what Jesus is saying is you have one that's exactly, that's just like me, that's coming alongside. We'll get to this passage later, but in John 16, verse 7, Jesus is going to say something really interesting that I just don't know if we would really believe. 1670 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for I do not go, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him. So Jesus says, it's to your advantage that this, this in the same type of work advocate come alongside and help. You might think, how is that better? Like, you know, I'd rather, I think I'd rather have Jesus with me. It'd be good to see Jesus and walk with Jesus and hear him talk again and to see his miracles. But, but let's think about this. He says we have another helper who it says, take a look at uh, verse 17. Verse 17, it says, Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you. That is, you, you're experiencing him now. You're seeing him in the power that's happening in me right now. But he says this, and He will be in you. So this Helper, the Holy Spirit, who is God the Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, the Trinity, He's going to be in us. So He's going to come dwell within us. And Jesus says because of that, it's going to be better. How? How is it better? Let me, let me give you two things that get highlighted here about the work of the Spirit. That Why Jesus says it's better later on. These are kind of like subpoints. Here's how to think of the Spirit here, this Helper. He is, first, the Spirit of Truth. He's the Spirit of Truth. One of the ways it's good that the Spirit comes to help us is He guides us in truth. There is a connection throughout Scripture between the work of the Spirit and believers understanding truth. It's how we get truth. If you look at 15 26, 1526, it will say, but when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about Me. He's called the Spirit of truth there. And in 16 verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 13, again, He is called the Spirit of truth. Let's, let's take our Bibles, if you would. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 because we want to just think on this for a second about the Holy Spirit is given a huge emphasis in the New Testament for the reason why Christians think and believe the way they do. And he's a, he's a huge part of the preservation and communication of truth. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
Let's look at it. And even as you're thinking about that, some of you are going like, oh, man, I guess that would make sense. The Bible is called the sword of the Spirit. And the Bible is where we get truth. Yes, it's not on accident. That, that's the case. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. and 1 Corinthians 2, Paul is talking to the Corinthians. Basically, what he's telling them is you, you have a, a really bad way of thinking about preaching. Uh, your way of thinking about preaching is uh, who's the most talented communicator. The right way to think about preaching is who's preaching according to the way that God wants them to preach, and who's preaching with truth. And he's talking about how wisdom only comes from God and is accessible from the Spirit. Look at verse 11. He says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? Right? Who knows your thoughts except the inner you? He says, So also, from a, an example from the lesser to the greater, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So here's, here's the Trinity living in eternity past, and nobody knows God the Father quite like the Son and the Spirit because they're one, yet distinct, but one. And he says this, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. He compares this with the unsaved person. Look at verse 14. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person, that's the saved person, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What Paul is saying there is it's the Spirit who understands God, and therefore... Not us in our natural wisdom. We understand God because He's given us His Spirit. In fact, we so understand God because we have the Spirit. He says we have the mind of Christ. Like that's how much truth we now understand because the Spirit's in us. Uh, think about this. I, I, I taught math before. Uh, I taught algebra for a couple years. And, you know, there were certain students that I would just like, uh, I would just try to communicate with them and like, tutor them and help them and no matter what like they just wouldn't get it there's nothing i could do they just they wouldn't get it they weren't being mean they're just like i just don't get it mr petrus and some of you were like that in math you understand you're like it just never clicked and there's part of me as a teacher it's like man i just wish i could like go in and like rewire your thinking from the inside to help you figure this out and that's exactly what Jesus does for us in having the Spirit dwell in us. He helps us think rightly. He helps us understand the truth. Back to our text. Let's go back to our passage now in John 14. You can have peace. And you can have peace not only by believing the right things, you have peace because the Spirit of God reminds you of what is true, and gives you confidence that it is true. So verse 25, it says, These things I have spoken to you while I am with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all I have said to you. It's the Spirit that helps us know the truth and believe the truth. It's the Spirit that helps us remember the truth. It's the Spirit that gives us confidence that it is true. What are those truths? We can look at other passages about them as well, but in this passage, what are the truths that are claimed? 
We believe because of the Spirit, and we know for sure that God loves you. You know that Jesus is coming back for you. And you can know that you are really one of His. Why? Because that's the Spirit's work in your life. He is an advocate. He is a friend who is telling you, this is true. This is true. He's the one when you're tempted, man, am I holy enough? Does God really love me? He's the one coming alongside and saying, yes, this is true. Let's remember what's true. Well, that's the best kind of friend. And that's who Jesus has left with us. He has left His Spirit with us to help us, to testify to the truth. But He's not just the Spirit of truth. He's also the Spirit of fellowship. Spirit of fellowship. Again, this is like sub-point two of point number two. Uh, point, we'll get to point three in a second. He's the Spirit of fellowship. If you notice, one of the themes in this passage has to do with continuing relationship. So in verse 18, he said, Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And in verse 19, he says, oh, well, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. And then in verse, uh, in verse 23, he says, me and my Father are going to come and make our home in whoever loves me. These are awesome words, like seeing Jesus and Jesus being with us and Jesus making our home. But, but here's a good question. When is this? Like he's talking about living with, what's he talking about? When is this? And if you read the, some, some commentaries on it, there's a few different options. Some people think that, well, he's talking about the resurrection, right? The world's not going to see him, but he's going to appear to his disciples. Could be an option. This could be talking about the end, the future, like the second coming of Jesus. Hey, he's going to live with us. We're going to get to see him then. But I don't think he's talking about either one of those. And here's why. Uh, I, I think a few different reasons. I think the world is going to see him. That, that actually does talk about it. Like the world's going to see him and mourn over him at his second coming. I also think that the whole theme of these four chapters is not just for these disciples, but for every disciple. Uh, there's a point that if you believe in Jesus, you can kind of have this comfort too. So what's he, what's he talking about? I think he's talking about fellowship that we have with Jesus right now. I think that's what he's talking about. So let's, let's, let's hold this here and let's, let's go to Romans 8 real quick and then we'll come right back. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. And help understand this. Let's do a little uh, Pauline math. And then we'll come right back. Because one of the mysteries in the New Testament is this mystery of Christ in us. Of Christ in the believer. Romans chapter 8. We'll look at verse 9. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. So Paul writes, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Amen, right? And then he says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So he equates the Spirit, Spirit of God, Spirit of Christ. And then he says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now notice this. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, versus, but if Christ is in you, which means if you have the Spirit of Christ, Christ is in you. The Christian life is about Christ in us. So think about this. You've heard this verse before. Matthew 28 you know, is the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples in all nations. And how does it end? 
And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's not saying, what, what does that mean? Is it, I'm with you, like, hey, I'm on your side up here, cheering you on, go for it. You got this, Christian. Or is it that he's actually with us? And, and, and Paul then says, it's no longer I who live, but, but Christ who lives in me. How? Because Christ has sent another helper. He sent His very Spirit to dwell in us so that His presence, if you're a Christian, is with you always as if He were here physically now. That is awesome. It's through the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit that sort of replaces the presence of Christ, and yet brings the presence of Christ. One author wrote it like this, when the Spirit comes, it is as if, it is as if Jesus Himself takes up residence in us. You know, Ephesians 3, you, you should jot this verse down and, and study this week. Ephesians 3, 16 and 17. Paul prays that you would be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. I want you to be strengthened with the Spirit. And then it says so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It's the Spirit being in us that Christ dwells in our hearts. Some of you can remember when you were little, like you were like hosting and your parents would be like, hey, we need to tidy up the house. We need to get the house tidied up because friends are coming over. In fact, I remember one time we actually had a lady coming to clean the house and then we had to tidy up the house for the lady coming to clean the house, which I thought... <laughs> was a little backwards. So I was like, wait a second. I, anyway. And, but that's kind of what the Spirit does. Like the Spirit comes in us and makes it ready so that Christ can live with us. So that we can walk with Christ right now. So that now we can go back to, to John 14. What does that mean? What does that result in? John, John chapter 14. Well, I think it results in all the things Jesus is saying here. So in verse 19, He says, A little while and you'll see Me no more, but when the Spirit comes, you will see Me. Like, we won't see Him physically, but you, you've, you've been walking with Christ, you're walking in the Spirit, you see Christ. You see Him in His beauty in the Scriptures. You, you see His constant, kind care in your life. If, if you're walking in the Spirit, Jesus says, uh, whoever, in uh, verse 21, he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Isn't it true? Like we've experienced Jesus and have known his friendship. How is that? Because Jesus has given us his very spirit so we might know him. It says, verse 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. You see, in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, Paul has this almost like little throwaway phrase, but he, he talks about, you know, the, the grace of Christ and the love of the Father, and then he says, and the fellowship of the Spirit. That's not just fellowship we have with one another, that's fellowship we have with God that's rooted in the light or the life giving death of the Son, and it's truly experienced because He's put His Spirit in us. And so that's why when you pray, and you, you've never seen God physically. You've never seen Jesus. Like that, that's all I want. Like I want to see Christ. But right now we can experience Him. 
And we know He's there. And we feel His friendship as we see who He is in the Scripture and as the Spirit helps us fellowship with Him. The Spirit inspired the Word. The Spirit helps us understand Jesus through the Word. And the Spirit helps us walk with Him. And so we talk a lot about fellowship with Jesus. We, uh, Christianity, we say it's not a religion, it's a relationship. But are we relating with Him? Are we enjoying the benefit of communing with Jesus regularly? You can do that. You could do that not through the power of positive thinking. You could do that because His Spirit is in you. I'm sure you're like me and you want nothing more than to see Jesus. I'm, I'm sure that when we get to heaven, we will be astounded and we'll be amazed that we got to see Him. And yet there'll be part of it that feels strangely, slightly familiar because we'll say, wait a second, this is the Savior I've known my whole life because He put His Spirit in me to know Him now. And then I'll see Him in part. So Jesus gives us peace. He gives us peace, again, like we said, by giving us clarity on discipleship. He gives us peace by telling us about the Spirit that's within us. The Spirit does come in the book of Acts and He now indwells every single believer. And finally, number three, He gives us peace by modeling peace. Number three, notice the confidence of the Savior. Notice the peace that He models. It's a a very interesting ending here. Uh, We read about it. Jesus says, I'm going away to the Father. You should be happy about it, which we are, because the Father and the Son love one another. Jesus deserves the glory of having that. And then the ending is weird. He says, rise, let us go from here. And uh, what, what scholars think is what Jesus does at that point is they leave the upper room and they start walking towards the garden. And the chapters 15 and 16 are happening in a conversation towards Gethsemane as he's going to talk a couple weeks about the vine and the branch and all of this stuff. But what do you do with verses 29 to 31? He, uh, he, he says, I told you before it takes place so that you'd believe. So he wants them to believe something. And, and then he says, hey, look, I will no longer talk with you much. For the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded. What do we do do with these verses? Well, very quickly, but very importantly. I think these verses are about reassurance. That's what's going on here. It's it's to assure us. Some of you can remember the the very first time as a kid when you like panicked, when you were scared. Like maybe there was someone that got sick at the house. Maybe there was an accident. Maybe it's your first time like the lights went out. There was a power outage or... Maybe you're like, it's your first time seeing like the gas light come on in the car and you're like, mom, dad, are we going to get gas soon? And you're, you're kind of overly worried about things. And you stayed worried until your mom or your dad turned around and said, son, daughter, I have this under control. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He, he's saying, I want you to believe rightly. Hey, when this happens, I just want you to believe it. Okay, I'm telling you it's going to happen, so when it does happen, me dying on the cross, you're going to believe it. And then he talks about an enemy. He says, I will no longer talk, uh, talk with you no longer for the ruler of this world, that is Satan, is coming. Now there is an enemy. The Bible is very clear. The devil is out to destroy Christians. He wanted to sift Peter like wheat. He sought to destroy Jesus. He seeks now to destroy all of Jesus' disciples. 1 Peter 5 says he's like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 4 says he's blinding the mind of unbelievers. Okay, Ephesians 6 says that we are supposed to watch out for the enemy. Take up the whole armor of God. 
If you're not concerned about the devil, Jesus is. In fact, in John 17, He's going to say, Father, keep them from the evil one. But why does He bring this up? Because what is happening right now seems really bad. In fact, if there was a time it seemed like Jesus was, or that the devil was winning, it would seem like this. This is when it's like, it seems like the devil's got a leg up here. But what Jesus is saying is don't think for a second that he's winning in this situation. He has no claim on me here. I'm in complete control. Everything is happening because I love the Father, and everything I want to accomplish will be accomplished. I will fulfill all righteousness. I will pay for the sins of man. I will rise on the third day so that sinners can really be justified and forgiven. I will come back and bring all of you home. Now let's get up because I'd like to go pray in the garden for a little bit before my betrayer comes. That's who Jesus is because He is the King. He is confident. He is in control. He knows exactly what He's doing. Therefore, for us, the prize is guaranteed. The outcome is known because He controls it. He is our Savior. God has given the name, Him the name above every other name, and He's on our side. And so He's given us peace. His peace. A peace that the world can't provide. So if we are His, we must not let our hearts be troubled. And we should not be afraid. Let me pray. Father, thank You for tonight. Thank You for Your Word. We're so thankful for Your Son and all that He's promised to us. Thank You that Jesus loves us, Lord, if we love Him and obey Him. Thank You, Father, that You love us. That is not just something that we believe because we've been taught it our whole lives. We believe it because Your Word says it. You love those who love Your Son. And we thank You for that, Lord. Father, we're so thankful for the Spirit who teaches us truth, who convinces our hearts when our hearts blame us, who reassures us that we belong to You. We thank You, Father, for the Spirit that we can walk with You right now and commune with You and, and have a friendship with Jesus because His Spirit is in us. Father, pray that we would have the peace that surpasses all understanding. Pray that we would enjoy the peace that You give, not being anxious, but making our prayers known with thanksgiving. We love You, Lord. Pray these things in Your Son's name. Amen.